Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Father, thank you for your grace that is on full display in the person of Jesus, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Father, thank you for the faith which you've birthed in us through your sovereign will, that you have granted us life eternal life that begins now, that shapes our life and redirects our life. Father, would you convince us that that is true in the deep places, in the dark places of our, of our hearts. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Sam Houston is, uh, was a soldier and eventual governor of Texas and a very colorful kind of off-color sort of a character and, and off the wall a lot of time, full of one-liners. But this crusty old guy, uh, actually, history is recorded that he actually got baptized and chose to trust Christ and make his faith in Christ known. And when he went to get baptized, uh, got baptized there in a river, and as the preacher put him under the water and raised him up, he said, he said Mr. Houston, your sins are washed away. And Sam Houston replied, God help the fish. Right, because he understood that if my sins have been washed away in this water, man, there is a dangerous thing that's going on. And I love that, but after he came out of the water, there's another part of that story that comes around that he uh, eventually said he wanted to pay for half of the needs of the church. And a guy said, Mr. Houston, why would you commit to do that? You're not required to do that. And he said, well, my pocketbook got baptized too. And so he understood somehow, and I love that story, one, because he's a funny dude. Two, I love that story because he had a theological connection that many theologians uh, fall short in making, that somehow our, our spending and our money and our resources and our life is somehow connected to our spiritual life, and that when we experience the grace of Christ, that ought to have some effect even on our giving and on our, our use of our resources. And so uh, really what we see in this is that forgiven people are giving people. That when he received grace and knew, and if my sins have been washed away, then surely that should free my hands to be generous as well. So what we're gonna look at today is we're gonna be talking a little bit about our finances and what the scriptures have to say about that. And what we're gonna see is if you wanna have a deep, meaningful life in Christ, then your life is going to be shaped by generosity and, and generosity of grace. So in this series, we've been looking at these verses in Colossians, and we've been talking about what does it look like for us, us to have a deeply rooted life. And just to review, going back to last week, as we think about these verses, it says, therefore, as, Christ, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And last week, we said, why is it that we are to be abounding, or that we are abounding in thanksgiving? Well, the answer is grace. Grace is the, the turning point. It's the, the watershed event in the life of the church. It's the thing that divides everything uh, from, from, down from which everything else flows. That everything starts with grace and moves downward from there into the rest of our lives. And, and if that is true, then we understand that grace is really the center of our faith. Grace is, it's an undeserved gift. It's an unearned gift. 
It was something that was given to us out of an act of love and not something that we worked for or behaved for or acted religiously for, but it's something that God gave us as a gift of salvation. And one of the things that we see as we look through really beginning to end this book, but especially in the New Testament, one of the things we see is that, that one of the proofs that you've received the grace of God is that your life becomes motivated by, uh, to live out the, light, the grace of God. And so your, your life itself becomes an act of grace. So as we said last week, gracious, a gracious God makes gracious people. What we see this week is a generous God makes generous people. And so we, as we begin to think about this, um, you can mentally understand all of that, but here's what I know. It's easier to talk about than it is to live out. Um, stats show that there's a problem. Do you know that one, more than one in four American Christians gave away no money at all last year? Not a penny. One in four of those who call themselves Christians gave nothing away in a year. Research shows that only 5% of adults tithe, meaning that they gave 10% or more of their income to the church, which is kind of the regular give, uh, uh, kind, of, kind of measure of what does it look like for us to give. Scripture, when you look beginning to end, the, the only mark that's, that's given repeatedly there is really a tithe, but only 5% of Christians actually have done so in an annual year. Among those who give, let me ask you this, how much do we give? Just looking at some of the research, more than half of the donors, so 55% of Christians who identify themselves say, I am a follower of Jesus, gave less than $500 last year. That's less than $10 a week that they give. So if Jesus is right when he says that your treasure where your heart is, we think Jesus is worth about like one margarita, right? I mean, it's less than 10 bucks a week. That, that we typically are giving. And so um, if Jesus is truthful, and let's say we give Jesus the benefit of the doubt on that, are you with me? That, that somehow our treasure is where our heart is, that what we spend reflects something about what, where our heart really is, then I think it's reasonable to ask the question, why do so many give so little to Christ's church? Only 5% assume that they gave more than $5,000 in a year. Unless everyone's salaries are all under that, then I think that says there's, there's, there could be a potential problem. Now, there's an old joke that says the last thing saved in a Christian is, is his wallet. And uh, we can laugh. Um, but do you know that 15% that of all that Jesus said and that, that we have recorded in this, this book about what Jesus said had to do with money? That he talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell or sex or anger or any, almost any other Topic. And so Jesus honestly felt like this was a serious spiritual issue. Their spirituality was so related to our finances that he talked about it an awful lot. So it's reasonable for us to talk about it as well. So let me look with you, or if you would look with me at Matthew 6. As we look at Matthew 6, we're going to look at a section here from the Sermon on the Mount, one of uh, probably Jesus' most famous sermon. And we're going to look just at a few short verses here, and then we're going to scatter sheep and jump around a little bit. But Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus saw this as, as an issue of the heart. He said, this is a, it's a spiritual issue. It's a, it's a worship issue that somehow what our hearts get wrapped around, our hearts naturally flow 
towards. And so if, if our hearts are flowing towards something, Jesus says that reveals something. So if we see our lives, our money, our attention, our energy flowing in a certain direction, Jesus says you should be able to backtrack that, start at the end and backtrack that and see something about what's going on on the inside. That, that somehow that reveals something about what's happening internally in us. And so Jesus presses in on this. I think for one reason is because he wants you to know that your stuff can't ever satisfy the longings and desires of what's going on in here. That no amount of money is ever gonna fill that void in the way that he can. And so he's gonna call us to redirect that to really focusing on him. And so this is why we talk about money sometimes is our desire, and I think Jesus' desire, is that as we move towards spiritual maturity, we're gonna find ourselves freeing ourselves from the stuff that, uh, that, that, that we obsess about, that it brings freedom for us. And so that's part of our, our, our moving towards spiritual maturity. And so, and just as you want to develop a love for the scriptures, and just as you want to develop a life of prayer, and just as you develop a, a life of knowing how to use your spiritual gifts to serve the body on a serve team, and, and knowing how to live out the one another's of scripture in terms of your relationships, and practice a, a life of grace, and have a yes face as we talked about within the life of your small group, and just as all these things are shaped and fostered, in the spiritual life, so also should we be shaping and fostering our heart for the Lord in the area of our finances. Here's what I want you to know. And it's, it's not a money problem. Yeah, it's really not a money problem. It's, it's a heart problem. Do you know, Americans, uh, this is a crazy thing. We have television shows about hoarding. Does, does that tell you how much we have? How much stuff we have? There's a stat, I've shared this before, but there are over 30 uh, actually, and I've forgotten it, 30,000 self-storage facilities, not units, but facilities around the world. That, that self-storage is a, is a more than $12 billion industry to store the stuff that we can't fit in our houses. So we have so much stuff it won't fit in our house, we gotta find another place to store our stuff, and that, it becomes a $12 billion industry. It tells you that we've got plenty of stuff. Let me ask you this, the law changes, CBD opens up. How many CBD dispensaries popped up within our city in a 12-month period of time? I mean, there's one on every single corner, isn't there? What that means is there's people convinced that we have money to spend on things that we think matter so much so that, that immediately they're running out and opening up new stores. Think about sports facilities. We've built three new stadiums in this city by itself over the last couple of years. How many casinos in our state are full? I have a parking lot that's full every single Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., which says something else, right? But the, the, there's plenty of money that's out there. Uh, you know, it's amazing. My, my uh, kids love the Avengers movies, and uh, we were tracking and, and went to Avengers Endgame on opening weekend, so this isn't a guilt trip. Like, we went. I, I dropped 60 bucks on that or more, okay? Like, we had tickets. We reserved them. We got them early. We got there early. We did the thing. But here's what I realized. One of my kids told me, the Avengers Endgame made $1.2 billion on opening weekend. 10 bucks a pop. I actually, I'm not good at math, so I pulled my calculator out and tried to put $1.2 billion. It doesn't even fit on my iPhone calculator. Like, I can't even get that. I had to do that math longhand. But what that means is there's a whole lot of people spent $10 on a movie about superheroes that saved the world. Let me ask you, if... Is it not worth considering whether a real superhero who really saved the world 
ought to make at least that much, ought to deserve at least that much of our attention. And that's when I begin to think about this. I mean, stuff and money really isn't the problem. It's not a problem for us. It's really not a problem for God either. Let me share with you a couple of verses. I'm just gonna give you a heads up. I'm gonna throw a bunch at you today. Sometimes at the risk of not being very politically correct, and sometimes I like to take one passage of the Bible and kind of like a sniper, like let's just go deep and pinpoint this and kind of like and have it penetrate your heart. There's other times, this is gonna be more like a shotgun. We're just gonna spray you with a bunch of scripture. And part of that is, and just trust that it's all gonna hit home where God wants to put wants it to hit home, okay? And so we're just gonna throw a bunch of stuff at you and trust that it's gonna land. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all that dwell within it. Um, so God doesn't have a stuff problem. He's sort of owns the whole thing. And so he's allowed us to manage a little bit of it, but it's all his. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God says, look, I've got all the silver and gold in the world. I don't need more. This isn't God need, God's neediness that causes him to Jesus to talk so much about money. The issue is really, it's our inability to keep our resources in perspective, to understand that God's the owner and we are his stewards or money managers, that he's given us a little bit and said, hey, would you watch over and manage this well as my representative here on this planet? And so we are entrusted with that. But ultimately God, if you look at what the scriptures say, God is the owner of all the stuff. Friends, how settled is that question in your heart? When you, when you pull something out, do you go, man, this is mine for my pocket? Or do you pull it out and say, and this is God's and he's given it to me to disperse according to how he would have me spend it? That really is the foundational question of the spiritual life as it regards money, is who owns the stuff? Mark, Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. Start with him. Start with his kingdom. See, as Christ followers, we realize that we're to honor God with all of our resources. And he, he dignifies us by asking, not forcing, by giving us an opportunity to invest in what it is that he would have us invest in and acknowledge his ownership and allow him to redirect some of what we do. And so he, he gives us something and asks us to consider his ways and the way in which we manage it. And then he showed us how to do that by sending his son to live amongst us. And Jesus gave and gave and gave everything he had to those in our world and to us in order to save a lost world and bring them home. So let me do this today. I wanna give you seven ways that we can honor God with our finances. Seven ways we can honor God with our finances. First is seek to manage your resources obediently. See, at the, at the core of our financial planning, when you, when you sit down and you start thinking, okay, I wanna go long-term, I wanna look at my, my budget, I wanna look at my planning, I wanna look at, at the orient, uh, orienting of my life in a certain direction, what is my financial plan? The very first question that we ought to ask ought to be a question about who or what is Lord or King of our lives. Who's the King of my life? Who's the Lord of my life that I'm trusting my life too. First Chronicles 29 says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Can you tell that he's just trying to string together as much, uh, much over the top excitement as he can there? Yours is 
the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. See, if you believe that, that's going to reorient your life around that truth. If you believe that to be true, that really is the central issue in our financial planning is who's the king or Lord of my life. And by the way, and so if, if you believe it, you're gonna be free to trust God's instruction about what you should do with your money. Now, do you know the opposite of that's true as well? That if you, if you feel free to trust God's instruction about your money, that means he's likely to be the king of your life. But if you don't feel free to trust God's instruction about your resources and your money, what it may mean is God doesn't fully acknowledge as the king and Lord of your life. But there's something a little bit out of balance there. And so as we think about that, let me give you some practical wisdom about money that once we've settled the question of if God is Lord, then we wanna ask ourselves the question is, well, then what has God said about my work and about my finances, about how I am to live? Second, way to honor God with your finances. Seek to earn a wage that provides for, our fam- for your family and for others. Seek to earn a wage that provides for our family and others. Have you ever looked at the ant as a model of, of financial success? Uh, it's not likely, right? They're just annoyances that are around there. But Proverbs tells us to look at the ant. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food and harvest. He says, look, the ant, Proverbs calls us and just says, look, learn to be wise by studying the ant. The ant doesn't need to be told or instructed or anything else. It just knows, man, I've got to work to save up the stuff I need in order to provide for myself and for others later on. And so go do the work and then save up what you need so that you have stuff to eat whenever the cold weather comes. New Testament says it this way, 1 Timothy 5. says, anyone who does not provide for the relatives and especially of their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's New Testament. That's, so don't shoot the messenger. I didn't, like, that's just New Testament. That's what it says. And so I want you to understand, he's, he's not saying that, man, if you've ever, like if you have limitations and you're unable to work, he's not trying to beat up on you. In fact, if, if, if you're going through a season where you're out of work, he's not trying to beat up on you. He's just saying, look, if the normal pattern of your life is you're not trying to earn a living to provide for those in your family that God has entrusted you to provide for, then there's something that's off, that's off kilter here. Other places in the scripture, it tells us that for those who are out of work, for the poor and for those who are in need, and our job as a church is to rally around them and to provide for them and to give to them and to support them and to take care of them. And so this isn't something that's meant to just beat up on people. But what he's saying is, man, in the normal pattern of life, the way in which God has ordained the universe, we need to work in order to make enough to provide for ourselves and for those that God has entrusted to us. And so we need to care for them. But you know, so Christians take care of their own. But Ephesians 4 also, I love how Ephesians 4 connects this idea with your conversion, with your salvation. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so your work, your honest work with your own hands is not just meant to feed yourself, but it's meant to also share with those who have needs around the body. And so scripture tells us we're responsible to give to the poor. We're responsible for aging parents. We're responsible to assist other Christians as needs arise. We're responsible to listen to the Spirit's guidance to know how we give to specific ministries and needs around the world. And so these are the ways in which scripture guides us in 
these things. Now, it's easy to see what the scriptures are saying. It's harder for us to depend on them in the day-to-day, isn't it? You know, I know it's harder for us to depend on them in the day-to-day. Credit cards. How many of you have had to cut up a credit card sometime in your life? Where it just got so far out of line, you're just like, okay, we're cutting this off. We're putting it away. We're throwing it away. Uh, I remember friends that actually used to put their credit cards in ice cubes and put them in the freezer so that they would have to really think it before they used their credit card. And so they would sit there and say, man, I'm such a knee-jerk spender that I need to create a way for me to have to wait several hours to have to process whether I truly need that thing or not. The temptation to spend, spend, spend so strong that many of us have become shackled and enslaved by the things that we spend. Proverbs says the borrower is a slave to the lender and are heeding that warning of scripture. That whenever you, you borrow from someone, you're a slave until you can pay that back and you are in a sense putting shackles on your own hands. When we overspend, we fail to plan or we spend things that are outside of our plan that cause us problem. So the third thing we can do to honor God with our finances is to seek to avoid unreasonable debt. I say unreasonable because I think there are times when, you, when it's reasonable to take on a debt, when it's easy, reasonable money management in order to practice that. But as a normal trend, there's many of us slide, or slide into an unreasonable debt that we end up having to chase this thing down month after month. And we dread getting that notice in the mail that tells us how far behind we are and to what degree we are owed. We owe. So some of us, and can I just encourage you with this? Some of us, before we can honestly consider how to give generously, are gonna have to free ourselves from debt. We're gonna have to work our way out of slavery to someone we owe before we have the freedom to truly give to those who have needs around us. So before our giving can honor God, our spending has to honor God, is what the scriptures are telling us. Thirdly, um, as we transition, look at what the scriptures have to say about giving. It says, seek to give God a proportion. Uh, the local church is God's redemptive agent in the world. It's the, the means by which God is ordained to bless the world and to send his representatives out into every local community, into pockets of people like this that, that, put his, that, that act kind of as a, as a lighthouse in a dark world showing off the goodness of God. And so our primary gifts go to the church. And the local church is really where the scriptures direct us to, uh, to, to give those, those resources. Second Corinthians 6 says we're to give according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, that seems kind of redundant, right? Let me tell you what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, don't feel guilty to give from what you don't have to give. Like we're not, you're not getting an amount that's unreasonable. God just says, look at what you have, look at what I've provided. And out of that, you need to give a proportion of that back to, to the Lord and to his work. And so out of what it is you have, what that means is we all make different amounts. There's some in here that, that you make a significant amount on your monthly paycheck. There's others in you that are scraping by week to week, just hoping to get to the next paycheck. And, and God's not asking you to give the same amount. He just says, look, of what it is that's been provided for you, out of, uh, give according to what you have. Don't feel guilty about what you don't have. So how much is a Christian to give? The only amount that's really indicated in the scriptures uh, is a tithe. And there's nowhere specific where it says that, you know, in this year and in this place that everyone's gonna have to give this amount. And we're not gonna send you a bill, by the way. Um, but there, it's just what the scriptures seem to say from beginning to end. That's the, the primary number 
whenever people, whenever the scriptures talk about what it is we're to give, the, the primary number it gives is a 10%, a 10th of one's income. And so that's kind of the historical reference point for what faithful giving to the church really looks like. Now, I think it's important to say that that number is not meant to limit our giving to 10%. It's just saying, here's a good starting point. And here's a good starting place for us to consider. And, but there's actually other gifts that, that may extend us even beyond that 10%. But that's just where the scriptures go as they talk about this. And so we see that we each are called to give a proportion. But number, uh, the fifth thing, we're, fifth way we're called to honor God of the resources is scriptures say that we're to, give God, we're to seek to give as a priority. 1 Corinthians 16 says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's saying, look, you've committed to give. You've committed to be a part of this thing and to be a partner locking arms with the church. So as you do, he says, on the first day of the week, set it aside so that you don't get behind and have to try to make it up later. It means it needs to be a priority. Um, you know, th- th- this doesn't take like uh, incredibly intricate, detailed theological work here for you to understand that you tend to do what you prioritize, right? So things that you prioritize on your, on your to-do list tend to get done and the things that fall down that list tend to, to slip to the next week and the next week and the next week. And what he just says is, let's make it a priority. Number six, seek to give confidently. Throughout the Bible, and we see this idea, and this idea comes up really Old Testament, New Testament, that you reap what you sow. And so if you sow really, really timidly, and you don't really give a whole lot in investing there, you're not going to reap a whole lot either. And so there's a, there's a sense in which that's true negatively, that if you sow to bad stuff, you're gonna reap bad stuff, but it's true positively as well, that if you sow to that which is spiritual, you're gonna reap that which is spiritual. And so you see verses like Malachi 3.10. This says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So this idea you bring in and you're trusting God and you're confident in who God is. And so you're gonna trust that, 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 that if, you, if you come and you give, that he's gonna give back. Now we have to be careful because that could go in a prosperity direction, right? They could go on a deal of you're manipulating God. Like, God, I gave you this, you owe me this. And you're really, you're not giving generously to God out of a heart of grace. You're giving to God out of a manipulative trying to buy his favor. And that's not what this is talking about. Second Corinthians 9 says it differently. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the church is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God's gonna provide for you, but not just so that you can enjoy it, but so that you can be generous to others. And so we should, and we should give confidently because we know that the whole world doesn't rest on our shoulders, that all of this is God's and whatever he's entrusted us, we get to steward and manage on his behalf. And so we should be confident that if he owns everything, then we don't have to regret or fear giving something else. The last thing is that we should seek to give cheerfully. One of my favorite verses on this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever known someone that this verse um, describes? That's just a cheerful giver. 
And there's, those are fun people to be around. They're people that, as we talked about last week, these are yes-faced people. These are people that have been so overwhelmed with God's goodness and his grace that they're abounding in thanksgiving, as it says in Colossians 2. That the grace just flows out of them, that their face, when you look at them, just goes, yes, I'm for you. Yes, I care about you. Yes, I wanna to give to that. Yes, I wanna help. Man, tell me what I can do. These are people that, man, it just comes out of them that they wanna be a part of what God's doing in the world and they're excited to do it and it brings them joy to do it. Man, that's what he's talking about. That we ought to be, we, we ought to be cheerful givers. But I love just some of the practical wisdom. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And I want you to know first and foremost, giving really is about you and the Lord. It's not just about you and a relationship to church. It's, it's something that's between you and God. That when you've prayed and when you've done the work and you've really sought the Lord and you at a heart level have just said, God, what do you want to free in my heart up for your, for your service and for your ministry and his act of worship, giving back to you? What is it you want me to do? That you've decided in your heart something that you're going to do. Notice it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. When he, somewhat that really just means don't be a guilt giver. Like don't give out of guilt. See, the thing I know about, about talking about money is that most of us feel a little bit guilty just out of the gates. It's like going to a college campus and talking to boys about lust. Like, you know, 99% of them are struggling and 1% lying, right? And so I can come to any married couple in the world and go, hey, let's talk about money. And they go, oh. I remember when Nana and I first got married, we had someone that called and they pretended they wanted to come over and talk to us and just, they wanted to come over and just meet with us. And we're just like, oh, we're getting sold something. And you just knew and you start to see this pattern of people come through and they're gonna come by and they wanna give you a sales pitch. And you just know, man, they're working it, they're working it. And I don't really wanna talk about it because I really want my stuff and I don't really wanna give to the thing that they were selling. And so sometimes you feel this pressure to give and I want you to know I, this is not intended to be guilt at all. Like it's the easiest thing in the world for a preacher to get them up and, and throw guilt at people about giving. That really is not what we wanna do here. And so he says, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, meaning not out of guilt or not under pressure. See, if you give out of manipulation, and you might do that for a very short time, but you're gonna run out of excitement and joy and you're not gonna be able to do it cheerfully for sure. If you give out of guilt, you might write a check, you might write a couple, but pretty soon, you're gonna stop giving because there's gonna be no joy in it. There's no life in it. It's the only experience of the gospel changes our heart's attitude towards money. It's important for us to understand when we talk about grace giving, what it means, that, that it's grace giving that leads to joyful giving. It's when we understand that I mean, my salvation is unearned. My salvation is undeserved. I didn't pay anything for my salvation, but God received me by grace and through faith. And so it's a free gift, not of me, but, uh, but something that I can only boast in what God has done for me. And so when that's true, when you understand God's grace, there's a freedom to give out of grace and to become cheerful in our giving. Let me ask you this. Why is it God cares about whether we're cheerful in our giving or not? Does the IRS care about whether you're cheerful or not? See, the IRS sends a letter and what they tell you, what do they tell you? we need X number of dollars. And if you send in X number of dollars, the IRS is satisfied, right? Because all they want is the bottom line. All they care about is the number, the number all they care about is the money that they need. They don't, they don't really care about your heart. 
What God says is God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't just want a number. He wants your heart. He wants your investment. He wants your love. He wants you to to look at the cross of Jesus and say, man, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's amazing. Why would I withhold anyone from a God who gave everything? Why would I withhold anything from the God who gave everything for me? And if that's true, then, man, what a joy for me to go, man, God, you need a little bit. Let me, let me, you don't need it, but can I just throw a little bit in this because I love you, because I care about you? And that's really the joyful, cheerful part that I think um, we're called to, to put on display. So let me ask you this. Do you have a plan? Have you decided in your heart what it is that you're going to do? Have you settled that matter and really come up with a percentage or a number of how you're gonna proportionally give and how you're gonna prioritize and how it is you're gonna do those things and so that whether that means you're setting it up on a credit card or an auto draft as we head into summer, I think it's important sometimes to prioritize that by just knowing you're gonna be traveling and it may be out of sight, out of mind. And so you may need to automate that as you get into the summer, but commit to a plan. You know, one of the things I've realized over the years is if, if, when I ask you the question, do you have a plan? If you can't answer that in 30 seconds, it means you probably don't have a plan because you're not really sure what it is that you're committed to do. So let me, let me step back and just think about the big picture here. I think certain topics in scripture aren't just questions that we're supposed to find a specific answer to, but they're kind of tensions to be balanced. And one of the things we see in scriptures is that I think our money falls in that area of it's a tension we balance. Because we know on the one hand, I mean, God gives to us and he says, man, go and enjoy the world. Enjoy that which I was given. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the, the, the beauty of my creation. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy life and live it to the fullest. And you, you should really en- enjoy this experience of life which I've given because it's good. And so the father, it says, is, is a giver of all good gifts. And so you're meant to really enjoy life. And then there's this other side of scripture where you look and you see, man, we're called to invest in the, the mission of God. And we're called to, to sacrifice and to give and to, to do all these things. So which is it? Are we called to richly enjoy all things as a gift from God? Or are we called to sacrifice all things to the mission of God? I think there's a tension that we hold in there. And if you get too far off on either side, I think you get yourself in trouble. I think if you go too far in the, uh, the direction of we're to enjoy all things as a rich gift from God, you know, we end up with the prosperity gospel that just says, man, God's here like a genie just to give you everything you want and you should live for everything that you want to do. And that gets us out of balance in this direction. On the other side, if we look and say, man, you should never enjoy anything. Life is, should be a misery. You should just be, uh, be destitute and give everything you can over here. Oftentimes what happens is people get discouraged. They get frustrated. They get tired. They get bitter. And I think that's not the extreme either. I think when you look at the whole testimony of scripture beginning to end, I think it calls us to live with a balance and to kind of wrestle with the tension of, man, what is it that God has called me to do? And so I want you to know, we're never gonna just send you a bill because that's about a number and it's gonna take away the wrestling you have to do with the Lord in your relationship with him and really understanding what, he is, what he's calling you to do. So here's my encouragement to you. And would you, would you just seek the scripture over time? Get to know what the scriptures have to say. Study it, learn it, dig deep into it. Would you seek the Holy Spirit's counsel? Would you pray and ask God for wisdom? 
Would you seek the counsel of, of wise friends who have been faithful financially and pray about what it is that you want to do. And then write down a number, make a plan, write down something that you intend to do, decide how you're gonna do and follow through with it. Get some accountability, ask your group for help if you need to, to stick it out. But I wanna encourage you to do that as well. And let me just say this as well. There, there is a lot of grace for this. Um, I haven't done this perfectly my whole life either. You know, I look back and I look at, we're about, my wife and I are about, uh, about to celebrate 25 years of marriage. And I think back to year one and I think we were making about 18 grand a year and, and it, was, it was tough to figure out how to get to 10%, I promise you. And there were years in those early days when we were in grad school and we were dropping in 40,000 plus in grad school and had 40,000 plus on medical bills and there were other things going on in that, like that, those early years of marriage. And I can just tell you, and it, was, it, was impi- it felt impossible for us to give according to even what I'm talking about today. There's ups and downs. There's been seasons in life where we got surprised with things that we just been, we did not know how to pay bills that month and it was, a, it was a struggle. So I just say all that to say, man, I get it. I know there's ups and downs, that things are not always as easy as, uh, as they are at other times in life. But man, let's keep pressing in as a people. Let's keep leaning in. Let's keep running to the Lord, asking him to provide, trusting him in those seasons when he doesn't. Let's ask for help from those around us. But let's, let's seek wisdom because if we're gonna have a deep, meaningful life in Christ, it's going, to, it's going to affect and to flow into the way in which we handle our resources. So let me, let me end with this. We wanna be a people that practice relentless stewardship we know we've all got something to give. Kind of a countercultural people that aren't slaves to materialism, aren't slaves to debt, but really are, are trusting the Lord to work good things in our life, to provide for us. And we wanna honor him in the, way in, which we, in the way in which we live. We also wanna give and see kind of donors rise up within our body that provide for the needs of our church. And those that have the gift of generosity, as Romans talks about, that, man, they are just on full display being able to give that which, they, uh, which God has put on their heart to give in order to meet the needs of the church. We wanna be a church that people look at and says, man, that church gives generously and uses money wisely. And so that's what we wanna be about. Um, this next fall, we're gonna have a, an opportunity fund and we're gonna begin raising money for land and building. Actually, we've already started that process. And so... Uh, one of the, the reasons it's timely for us to talk about this now is, and it's, it really is a discipleship issue. It's a heart issue. It's something that we want for you. And so we, we really want this to be something that as we walk together as a church family, as we talk about membership, and what does it look like for us to lock arms as partners in the body of Christ, that this is really an area that man, we all bring together to the Lord and say, God, what is it you would have us to do? And so as, we, as we're kind of leaning in that direction over the next six months. And I think it's timely for us to ask this question now and just say, and what is it, God, you want us to do in terms of our own lives in order to honor you in this area? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the way in which you provided for us. Thank you for the way in which you provided for this church over the last five years. And Father, for all that you're going to do. Father, we pray for, um, for that future home. We pray for the opportunity we have to be a light in the city, for the opportunity we have to put you on full display. Father, not just through a place, but through a people, a people who are surrendered to you. 
the people whose hearts are yours, the people who are experiencing your grace week in and week out, the people who trust you with their whole lives, who are doers of the word, not merely hearers, because they love you and because they trust you unreservedly, because your love has come to us unreservedly. Father, thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.